Well, God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today, and thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring that service to you, wherever you are. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the New Testament, Habrita Chadashah, to the New Testament, to the book of Yohanan, the book of John. Chapter 1 is where we're going to be today, and that's where we're going to be, and we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video, as you know, just to make it easier for you to follow along. You know, I'd like to talk to you today about the Lamb of God. We're continuing in our study through the book of John, and remember it's the bridge between the Tanakh, which we say in English, the Old Testament, and Habrita Chadashah, the New Testament, Bevrit, or in Hebrew. And we left off last week at John 1, verse 28. That's where we left off last week. And today's message, we're going to be beginning in the book of John, chapter 1, starting at verse 29. We're just going to keep going verse by verse through this book of John, just like we did in the book of Genesis. And then we'll go on to the end from verse 29, on to the end of chapter 1, and then we'll go into chapter 2 next week. So let's read it together, shall we? And We'll read a portion of it, and then we'll pause for a little while to discuss each part. Starting with John 1 and verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, John is saying, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, because he was before me. Verse 31, I did not know him, but he should be revealed to Israel. That's what he knew of him. He said, I didn't know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. And that's why I came baptizing with water. Now let's talk about these first three verses here for just a few minutes, and then we'll continue on and pick up speed. You know, in the book of Isaiah the prophet, Hasefer Yeshayahu Hanavi, Batanach, in the in the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet, chapter 40, verse 3, it had read this prophecy, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now John's ministry was to prepare the way of the Lord. This is speaking of him. This verse in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, is speaking of what's happening now in the New Testament. And like we've been saying before since we came from the book of Genesis in the Torah all the way now into the New Testament, that these two, the Tanakh and the New Testament, work together. The Tanakh is working together by giving prophecies of this coming Lord, this coming Messiah, who is going to be the Lord Himself saving us from our sins. That's so important, isn't it? Because without salvation from our sins, we don't have a, a hope of everlasting life. Because no one with sin can enter into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the place of God's throne. It's a holy and righteous place. And any sin found in the kingdom of heaven would be destroyed. But God doesn't want to destroy you and I. He created us in His image, it said in the book of Genesis. He made us in His image. Now, why would He do that out of all the other creatures 
we alone are made in the image of God, male and female. He created mankind in the image of God is what it says in Genesis chapter 1. Well, it turns out he wanted children for himself, children to shower his love and compassion upon throughout eternity, show him the wonders of his care. And we're going to be as the angels are in heaven one day. But the sin was keeping us out of heaven. Like I said, heaven's a holy place and those with sin can't enter in. So the sin was keeping us out of heaven. So God made a way. And He talked about even from the earliest days of the Torah, the earliest days of the Tanakh, He foretold through prophecies the coming of this special anointed one who was going to take away the sins of the world. But it couldn't just be any man. Well, yeah, sin entered the world through man. Therefore, sin had to be atoned for through man. Couldn't take sin away permanently. Oh, you know, in the Old Testament, they sacrificed a lamb. They sacrificed the bulls and everything like that once a, once a year on Yom Kippur. And they did that, and it just caused the remembrance of sin to pass for that amount of time. But if you were in the kingdom of heaven, you see, that one year would come and go like that. And then those sins would be remembered before God and you would be destroyed because of the sins in your life. God wanted that sin to be taken out of the picture for good forever so that you and I could have everlasting life with Him and be His children as He created you and I to be. That's why we're made in His image. In other words, we have eternal spirit. Just like He's eternal spirit, He's given us the ability to live forever. Never been a question about that. The only question is, is where are you going to spend eternity? He wanted us to have that everlasting life with Him. But separation from His presence would have meant death. Now, I'm not just talking about physical death now, even though that sounds pretty permanent, right? I'm talking about spiritual death. That's the thing that happens to where eternity is lost to you. So that's pretty important. God didn't want us to be lost from Him for eternity. So he became that man, that Messiah, and he who had no sin had to be a blemish-free, spotless Lamb of God. Remember, as we said last, now last week, and had to be a spotless, blemish-free Lamb of God. Well, he had no spot. He was holy and righteous. He had kept his own law all the time so that he would qualify to be that spotless Lamb of God that would be sacrificed for our sins and take away our sins once and for all then we could be allowed to go into the kingdom of heaven. All who believe on the one that he sent to do this, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. So he would do this and he asked for the simplest thing, that we simply believe that he did it, that he became a man, that he died for our sins. And because he had no sin of his own, but he took our sins upon himself to atone for them, but because he had no sins of his own, death couldn't hold him, you see. And that's why we just celebrated the Resurrection Day, what we call Easter. And we celebrate that because here it is 2,000 years later and his body still not be found. No one's ever found it and they won't because he's at the right hand of God the Father right now, making intercession, praying for us, you see. He had no sin of his own, so death couldn't hold him. Death could only hold people who have sinned. He didn't have any sins of his own, so death had to let him go, and he's up and he's risen, he's back at the right hand of God. But he's going to come again and judge the world for its sins and take his people up to him, but he's giving plenty of patience and long-suffering, waiting for all who will 
to come to Him, to believe on Him. He doesn't want any to perish, is what the Bible says, but He wants everyone to be saved. But He can only wait so long because He does have to take sin out of creation, you see, and make it back the way it was designed to be without sin. So John now is prophesying. Uh, John, uh, I'm sorry, the book of Isaiah is prophesying now in chapter 40, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, my brother and sister, Yehudim, my family, my brothers and sisters, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Think about that. What is that prophecy about the Messiah? That prophecy is generally understood to be the prophecy about the Messiah. But look at the words. Prepare the way of the who? Of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Hmm. That is what is uh, referring to John in the New Testament. Now we're seeing this guy right here in John chapter 1. Well, so John's ministry, it said, was to prepare the way of the Lord. We know from scriptures that John baptized people unto repentance. That's what the New Testament says, that his baptism was a baptism unto repentance. And we know that in repentance, a person must acknowledge that they're a sinner and acknowledge their need for God, right? and that they must believe on Him before they can be saved. You can't come to God and confess your sins if you don't believe in God. And when you confess your sins to God, basically what you're saying is, I can't make myself righteous. And I need to be perfect and sinless to enter your kingdom, to live forever. What am I going to do, God? I need your help. That's acknowledging your sin. That's confessing your sin before God and acknowledging that you need His mercy, you see. Then, believing on Him, you can be saved. So when you acknowledge your sin to the Lord, you're preparing the way for Him to work in your life. You see what I'm saying? John was preparing the way for the Lord to come through the baptism of repentance. He was preparing the way for the salvation of grace and mercy in the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. He was preparing the way for the Messiah, the Lord, to come by talking about repentance. So the first thing that we need to do to prepare our own heart for the Lord to save us is to come to Him and just acknowledge, I'm a sinner. When you do that, you're preparing the way for the Lord to forgive you now and work in your life and forgive your sins. You have to acknowledge that you have sin before He can forgive the sins. If you come to the Lord and you say, well, I don't know why I'm here. I certainly don't have any sins. I don't need you for anything, but I do want to be saved and go to heaven. And God's going to say, oh, you know what? I have every waking and sleeping moment of your life in my memory, and yes, you have plenty of sins. You may think that it's only the things that you did, only the things that you said, only the things that your feet went to do or that your hands did, but I'm telling you, even in your mind, the evil thoughts that you had, those are also sins. And God's saying to you, He's saying to all of us, you have plenty of sins. All right, well, there we are under condemnation. We can't get into the kingdom of heaven, right? unless God forgives us. So you have to acknowledge your sins before He can forgive those sins. So you had to prepare the way in acknowledging your sins and repenting, turning the other way, turning away from your sins and turning to God and asking Him for His mercy in His Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. Also know, notice here that God sent John the Baptist to baptize others. 
and to proclaim to them the one who was coming, the Mashiach. Mashiach, now I say Mashiach in Bevrit, in Hebrew, it simply means the anointed one. That's what it means. Uh, you know, the Mashiach is how we say the word Messiah, Bevrit, in Hebrew. And he was sent, John was sent to proclaim this Messiah to all of Israel. And look at what God did. God brought thousands of people, thousands and thousands from all over Israel, brought him out to John. Now, where did it say John was? John was in the wilderness, right? It said that he was in the wilderness, in the desert. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but if you go out there, you won't notice there's, there's, not, there's not tens of thousands of people out in that wilderness, out, out in En Gedi. Well, En Gedi's a little garden of green there, but all around it is nothing but barren desert and mountains and hills and everything. It doesn't look like anything could live there. Even the big sea there is called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the Salton Sea. It's got so much salt in it, practically nothing can live there except for some little, real small, tiny, tiny bacteria and some other tiny things, but nothing lives out there. And if it does, it won't live very long. It's just a wilderness. It's hot, it's barren, there's no water, there's no rain. All of these things are going against it. Well, John went out to the wilderness, and this was up by the Galilee, to the north of the Galilee. There was water there to baptize up in that area. But it's a wilderness, and it's called the wilderness for a, a reason. It's a forsaken, desolate place. John was out there. It said he was baptizing out in the wilderness. He was in a desolate, which means nobody goes there. It was a forsaken, which means no one wants to go there. It was a desolate and forsaken place. That's where he was. But look at what happened. All over Israel, God somehow got the word out to all these thousands and thousands and thousands of people, probably tens or even hundreds of thousands of people, that heard about John baptizing out there in the wilderness, and they would come to him to be baptized for their sins because they knew from the scriptures, they knew from the prophecies of the Tanakh. They figured it out. They looked at Daniel chapter 9. They did the math. They figured out all of these things. And they figured the time for Messiah is on the way. Hubaderich. He's on the way. Hubaderich. And so he's on the way. He could come any day now. The Messiah could come. We better be ready for him. So they wanted to come out there, get baptized by John for the remission of their sins, for their remission of their sins. They wanted to repent in that baptism of John. Now think about that for a while. A man goes out to the wilderness. A wilderness, not a city, but in the middle of nowhere. Into the wilderness where no one else is. And God brings all these thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people there to hear his message that the Lord has given him. Now, John didn't have Facebook or viral following on Twitter. He didn't have Instagram or WhatsApp to let the people know when he was going to be there or when that event was going to happen. John didn't buy a million-dollar advertising slot during the Super Bowl or the World Cup competition. No, he didn't have any of that. He didn't talk about it on the talk shows, on television or radio. He didn't send out junk mail advertisements. He didn't do any of that. He didn't have any of that. But there's one thing he did have. He had God. And with God you have enough. The Bible calls the Lord El Shaddai. In the Tanakh it says He's El Shaddai. In Hebrew, Be'evrit, what does that mean? It means 
God is enough. God who is enough. The God who is enough. El, the God, short for Elohim. Shaddai, She, that is that. Die is how we say enough, be a reader in Hebrew. The God that is enough. El Shaddai. God that is enough. When you have God, you have enough. And when you have Him, everything that you ever need will be there for you because in His presence, there is no lack. He's the God who is enough. It just shows, doesn't it, that even if you don't understand what God is doing with you in your life, just go where He's calling you to go. I want to say that again. Just go where He's calling you to go. And you'll see later what God is doing there. You won't see it ahead of time. You don't need to see it ahead of time. You don't need God to explain His reasons to you before you go. Why would you want that? So that you could approve or disprove of God's reasons? His wisdom is perfect. Is yours perfect? Tell me you've made some mistakes in life and I'll show you that it's not perfect. We've all made mistakes in life. You don't need God to explain His reasons to you before you go. Just go. You may not see how God can use you where He's calling you, but just go. You want to step out on faith in God? Then stop demanding all the answers before you step out on that so-called journey of faith. The book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and verse 1 says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? It means that if you have to see and understand what God is doing before you answer His call, that's not a walk of faith. You're not living by faith in Him. You're just going on some adventure in your own imagination, in your own mind. You don't need to know how it's all going to work out. You don't need to know when it's all going to work out. You don't need to know why God wants you to go there, where He's calling you to. Just go. Just go. Just go. You don't need to know how or why. All you need to know really is who. When you know that the all-powerful creator of the universe is the one who's calling you, you have everything that you need to know. Now notice that when John sees the one who God had told him about, John didn't say, Behold the great military general who will defeat the Romans for us. No, he didn't say, Behold the great politician who will negotiate peace with our enemies for us. No, he didn't say, Behold the great political leader who will give us everything we want for free and make it so we don't have to work anymore. Of course he didn't say that. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now that's odd. That's not what they were expecting. They wanted someone to deliver them from the Roman occupation. What's going on here? Why is he talking about sins? They need a military victory, or so they thought. Well, you see, God knew that you and I were made in His image, just like the book of Genesis said, and we said earlier. In other words, we were created with an eternal spirit, just as God is eternal and He is spirit. We're created this way, like we said, to be His children, so that He could show you His love throughout eternity. But sin came along, made it to where we couldn't get into the kingdom of heaven, and we couldn't have that everlasting life because we were outside of His presence. And His presence is life-giving. So we would perish eternally. God didn't want that to happen. We didn't need 
a victory from the military. We didn't need a political peace treaty, which those treaties always get broken eventually, and you have to make another one and another one. And even when you have a military ceasefire, it's between two countries that hate each other and want to kill each other, but they reluctantly agree to a ceasefire for a while, even though they still hate each other. We didn't need that kind of victory. We didn't need that kind of false peace. We didn't need a whole list of free stuff that God would give us. No, we needed a Savior, someone who would save us from our sins. Now let's continue looking at verse 32 on. It says in verse 32, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and He remained on Him, the one He was baptizing, the coming one, the Messiah. Verse 33 then says, I did not know Him. I didn't know who it was, but He who sent me to baptize, that is the Father, who see who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. God was telling something John he could relate to. John was a baptizer, baptized with water. But God's saying, The one that you see with the Holy Spirit descending and remaining on him, he's the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit giving life, you see. Verse 34, then John says, And I have seen and I testified that this is the Son of God. Who's the Son of God? Look back up in the chapter. He's talking about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He has seen what God told him he would see. The Spirit descended from heaven, remained on the Son as the Son was being baptized, and... He remained on the Son, and John remembered what the Father had told him. And he says, I have seen now. And I'm testifying that this one here, the one that I said is the Lamb of God, the reason why I said that is because I saw it happen just like God told me it would happen. And this is the Son of God. Now here we see that God had shown John these things that he would see the Spirit sending from heaven, remaining on the Messiah, and that would be the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit, just like we said. God had shown John that this one upon, upon whom the Holy Spirit would remain was the Son of God. Now notice the wording there. Not only the chosen Lamb of God, which John also says, but now he's saying God's shown him that this would be the Son of God. Not just the chosen Lamb of God for the sacrifice, for the Passover sacrifice that would take away the sins of mankind, but the actual Son of God. Here's what this is saying. Pay attention now. The one who would take away the sins of mankind would not just be the Messiah. It wouldn't just be another man, some other person. It would be God Himself. You say, Stephen... That says the Son of God. It doesn't say God Himself. That's what the Scripture means there. The Son of God is, if you will, of course God doesn't have DNA, but the Son of God is part of God. Remember last week we talked about the creatures before the throne that Isaiah the prophet, Ezekiel the prophet, and Revelation, it, it said and it saw them, they had four faces, four wings, and, and they had wheels with eyes all over them, four faces facing different directions. Now, I asked you a question last week. I said, if you can't understand the creatures that are before the throne of God, how can you tell me you understand what God is like? 
Can God be higher and different than you? Betach. Oh, sure, of course he can. He can and he is far higher than you. In fact, in Isaiah, he says that his thoughts are higher than yours as the heavens are above the earth. His ways are higher than yours as the heavens are above the earth. I don't know about you, but I have astrophotography as a, hom a hobby and I, I study astronomy. And we're just trying to make telescopes that can see over 13 billion light years away. A light year. Light traveling at 186,000 miles per second in one year of those seconds, at 186,000 miles every second, in one year, that would be one light year. We're trying to make telescopes that can see as far back as 13 billion light years. That goes beyond all of your imagination. Yet this is the handiwork of God. That's what the book of Psalms says in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. It says day to day pours forth knowledge. Night to night reveals wisdom. Those stars, those skies pass over every point on the surface of the earth. And eventually everyone has the opportunity to look up and see the amazing things that God has done. That's the wisdom of God. That's the way God is. Can you do those things? God can. Stop trying to compare God to you and make Him in your image. You were made in His image with eternal spirit. But He has ways and things far, far above anything you can comprehend. Can He be three and still be one? Yes, He can. In fact, the Zohar, the Jewish holy book I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the Zohar says that these three that are God, these three are one and they're one God. Huh, you don't hear the rabbis talk about that much, do you? There it is, one of the holy books in Judaism, Zoar. Now, God had shown John that this one that the Holy Spirit would remain on would be the Son of God. And now John is saying it's the Lamb of God. So he knows it's both the Lamb of God and the Son of God. Here's what this is saying. God would be the one who would take away sins, the sins of mankind. He would be the one, the actual Son of God, the one who is one with the Father, the one who is one with the Holy Spirit, the Son of God. As this chapter said earlier, the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right up there in the first verses of chapter 1 of the book of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then later in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John says in verse 34 here that we're reading today, that this one is the one who God spoke of. This one, Yeshua, how you would say it in English, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, the Chosen One. Yes, the Messiah, the Mashiach, and yes, the Son of God. Yes, to all of those, God Himself, in His love for mankind, God Himself would be our Savior. The Lord would be our Savior. He would be our Redeemer. Now, if you've read the Tanakh and it all, you've seen these kinds of words. You know that God is in love with us, and that He wants us to be saved and to return to Him. Does it surprise you really at all that the one who would deliver us is God himself? And doesn't that show his love to you? I mean, he could have told the angels, Michael, 
Archangel, I want you to go down there and I want you to die on that cross for their sins and everything. Okay, Michael might have done that. And then, and then if that happened, no, of course it didn't, but if that happened, then you would look up and say, well, Michael the Archangel died for us. But I still don't know how God himself feels about us. But he didn't send an angel in his place. In his place. God himself went. God himself took on the form of man. God himself hung there on that cross and poured out his life for you and I. So we know how God himself feels about us. We know how much love God himself has for us. I'll tell you what. God loves you. Man, man will always fail you. Governments, governments will always fail you. Four more years, two more years later, 18 months in Israel, whatever your election cycle is, you put them in again, and, and sure enough, they, they let you down in some way or another. The ways of man, the plans of man, and even your own plans will always fail you. But here's what I want you to remember. God never fails you. God never lets you down. He's perfect in wisdom. He's perfect in righteousness. And He's perfect in strength. Don't you be putting your trust, your eternal destiny in the hands of a mere mortal leader. Don't put your life into the hands of a government of man. Put your life and eternal destiny into the hands of Almighty God. He alone is our Savior. He alone is our Deliverer. And to Him alone belongs all the glory forevermore. Now let's continue from verse 35 and wrap this up. As we say, we're going to land this plane now. Again, the next day, verse 35 says, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Yeshua as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. There he is again, John saying, looking at Yeshua. And he's standing there with his disciples, the people that followed him. And he's looking at Yeshua. And he's not talking about what he's accomplished or anything. He sees Yeshua walking there. He tells his disciples, look, there's the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Yeshua, Jesus. Verse 38, then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, well, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying. And they remained with him that day. Now, it was about the 10th hour. Now, I want to pause right there and just talk about rabbi. Oh, you know what rabbi means. That's, that's that Jewish teacher of the law, right, of Judaism and everything. Well, I want you to understand that, remember, I told you before, a long time ago as we were going through the book of Genesis, that rabbi is not the way it's pronounced, really, in Hebrew. It comes from the word rav, R-A-V, you would say it in English. Rav means great. And when you add that I on the end, it, you would say ravi. That would mean my great man, add, great one. Adding that I onto the end makes it possessive. So you would say rav, ravi, ravi. Or Rebbe, you know, some of the European Ashkenazim Jews would say it like that. But Ravi, okay, is my rabbi. Rav is rabbi in Hebrew. So if I say, there goes Rav Cohen. Rav Cohen, shalom, mashlamcha. And he would say, ah, shalom, Stephen, mashlamcha, beseder, mashlamam mishpacha. Okay, he would say, this is Rav Cohen speaking to me and I'm speaking to him. Rav means rabbi in Hebrew. But Ravi, with that I on the end there, as we would say rabbi in English, that means teacher, but 
technically, it specifically means my teacher. And they said to him, my teacher, which is translated to say teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying. He remained with them that day. And now it was about the 10th hour. 10th hour is figured by the 10th hour after the sun rose. So we're talking, let's say the sun rose at 6 o'clock. Then the 10th hour would be like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Pretty hot. So it's about time for people to go home. And it's a long journey home. It's about time for them to go home. So they said, where are you staying? They want to know more about him, but they knew they wouldn't have time to stay there. The sun was going to be setting pretty soon. And so they said, well, where are you staying? He said, well, come and see. What he was saying was, come with me. And that's going to figure into the rest of these verses in just a little bit, you see. When he said, come with me, that's the same thing he's saying to you and I. Come with me. Come with me and I'll show you. Come with me and I'll show you what God is going to do in our lives together. What God is going to do with me. What God expects of you. Come with me, Jesus is saying. Will you come with him? Now verse 40 then, as we wrap up, it says, One of the two who heard John speak, when John said, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One of the two who followed him was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. You know Peter from the New Testament. All kinds of stories about him. Well, Andrew was his brother. And he heard John speak. And see, he went and found his own brother, Simon Peter. Simon, in verse 41 says, And he said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. See, I told you, Messiah, Christ, Mashiach, they all mean the same thing. Moshiach is Messiah. Messiah is Christ. It all means the anointed one. The one who is going to come and save the people from our sins. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought Simon Peter to Yeshua, you see. Now when Yeshua looked at him, he said, before he even knew anything about him, he says, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now, Think about that. You go up to meet this new person. First thing they notice is, oh, hey, hi. where do you live? Oh, where are you from? What kind of work do you do? The first thing he says is, you're Simon, son of Jonah, but I'm going to call you Cephas. Okay, well, now when you reach out to shake his hand or do the fist bump or the elbow, whatever you do, what are you going to say? Uh, hi, my name is uh, uh, Peter, Simon. Uh, you said, what is my name? Cephas. Oh, yeah, my name is Cephas. <laughs> things change right there. As soon as you come to the Lord, things start changing. That's what I'm saying. The following day, it says in verse 43, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. They were all kind of close there. Philip found Nathaniel, Nathaniel. And he said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote and spoke of, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46, And, and Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good come out of Nazareth? It apparently didn't have a good reputation then, you know. 
It's kind of like the side of the tracks that I lived on when I was growing up. People would say, can any good thing come from over there? <laughs> and, and if you knew my early life, you might be inclined to believe, no, it couldn't. Yeah, it just gets bad and worse over there. But now they're saying that about Nazareth. And then it says in verse 46, so Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, will you come and see? Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, he took the initiative, and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deception, no deceit. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Actually, before Philip called you, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. In verse 51, the last verse in this chapter. And he said, Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Wow. He told Nathaniel, I saw you when you were sitting under that fig tree. You go, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, once again, they didn't have WhatsApp. So Philip couldn't just call Jesus and say, hey, uh, I just wanted to tell you I found my brother Nathaniel and everything. He's sitting under a fig tree here, but I'll bring him to you. They didn't have WhatsApp. Didn't have Facebook. Nathaniel wasn't posting picture of, of, you know, what's going on while I'm sitting here under this tree and everything in the Galilee and just wanted to put out a post to all my, my uh, followers and I see how you liked my last post. And he didn't have Facebook. He didn't have Instagram taking that picture with Galilee in the background, you know. He didn't have those things to do a post. He didn't have Flickr to post pictures of the Galilee that he was posting on there in Flickr. He didn't have social media. There was no way, here's what I'm saying, there was no way that Jesus could have known what Nathaniel was doing. Hmm. And Nathaniel knew that at that time. No technology existed. He couldn't have known it. And the first thing that happens when he's coming up to Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask him, well, where were you? What were you doing? He didn't ask that. He says, Nathaniel, I saw you when you were under that fig tree. <laughs> Nathaniel goes, whoa. <laughs> and he said to him, you are the son of God, Rabbi, my teacher. You, now you're my teacher, Ravi. Okay, you're my teacher. You're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? You'll see greater things than these. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus had said to him, hereafter you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, here we see that, Jew, that Jesus is starting to call a few men who would accompany him throughout his ministry on earth. He chose them to simply witness the things that he was going to do. He wanted them to be witnesses to other people that he is the Son of God. That's how the gospel spread. If you become a believer in Yeshua, God is counting on you to pass that story on to others. You can't just have fire insurance for yourself. You can go, well, I'm going to heaven. That's enough. But I don't want to be criticized by other people in society. So I won't let anyone know that I believe on Yeshua. No, because then they would persecute me. Listen, Jesus said, they persecuted me 
And if you belong to me, you're going to be persecuted too. So just get that notion out of your mind and look at persecution instead. Like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad in that day. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you and great is your reward in heaven. That's what he was saying to them, you see. But if you're going to be a witness, you have to be a witness. You can't just be a follower without being a witness. Because if you're following Jesus, you're following his teaching. And his teaching said, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. What was that word again? Go. Oh, yeah. Just go. He wants you to be a witness that he is the Lord, the Son of God, the Messiah. These people that he was calling, they would be his witnesses to his miracles that God would do through him that it would fulfill the prophecies. He would have all of these witnesses that all of these prophecies were being fulfilled. They would hear his wisdom. These men that he would call in, they would see his compassion toward the lost, the helpless, the hopeless, the outcast and the hurting. And when he called them to follow him, something, something deep inside just must have told them to go. <laughs> to just go with him and leave everything else behind. And give their life to Him from that day on. And right now God is calling you. He's calling you to follow Him. He's calling you to follow Him. What will your answer be? Will you just turn and walk away? Or will you be drawn into His love, His care, and His presence and mighty power in your life? What's your answer going to be today? What will your answer be? Give your life to Him. And it will be the start of the most amazing life that you could ever imagine. Give your life to Him today. Just give your life to Him today. Amen? Why don't you give your life to the Lord today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry. He'll answer you and He'll rescue you from that darkness you're in. And, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's His promise. He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person, give you a new start. All those past failures will be thrown away and you'll be made completely new. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus today as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in His life, in your life, the peace that we're talking about, to receive His peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. And you can pray something just from the heart. Something like this, if you'd like. You can even repeat after me, if you'd like. Just mean it from your heart as you do. Just say, God, I do want to know You and have real peace in life. I believe on Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins, Lord. I repent. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'll tell you something. God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A, a little seed has been planted deep down in your heart. You may not realize it, but over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful growth in that seed and the changes that God's making in your own life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about the Lord every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. I tell you, He's going to do beautiful things in your life. <music>